Well, welcome to um, our first Precision Point uh, series. Um, as I said, I hope you're ready to have some fun and look at the Scriptures and have some family time really working some angles of the, uh, of the Bible. And I say working some of the angles of the Bible because, I mean, everyone here, me included, we have the same task. We all believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe that the Bible is our only rule for, for faith and practice. Um, so that's not really the issue. The issue is, whenever you go to the Bible, how do you, how do you make it walk and talk? Um, how do you take passages um, that are in certain portions of Scripture, whether uh, you'll hear people say, ah, oh, well, that's in the Old Testament, that doesn't count as if. Or, you know... Uh, those I had a lady at Cornerstone uh, tell me uh, she didn't stay long, but um, she was there when I got there. That the only words that that were God's words were the ones in red um, and the Ten Commandments. The rest of the words were, you know, it was just man, uh, you know, uh, trying to write some, you know, some things that uh, more like commentary. So. Uh, yet there are passages in certain parts of the of the Bible. Uh, some of which are narrative, telling a story. For instance, in the book of Acts, um, it's telling the, the acts of the Holy Spirit and the building of the church. It tells the story. Uh, you can really get yourself in trouble in a hurry if you make the book of Acts like prescriptions, go and do likewise. Um, you know, and you, you can find that on, uh, you know, on the Fruit Loop channels all over the place, selling hankies, you know, like like Paul and and praying for a second blessing, the Holy Spirit to fall on people. So you have to understand where it's at and keep it in context. And everybody obviously has a desire, you know, to do that. Um, but we're separated uh, from uh, you know from thousands of uh, of years, and so it takes some work. It takes some effort to be able to work uh, some of those angles. If that wasn't already uh, a lot of difficulty, uh, then you have to apply it in, in today's culture. Um, people take that way, uh, way too far. Uh, they want to um, uh, you know, try to allow the culture to reinterpret the Bible. You can see that in the most radical uh, wings of, uh, of the liberal church, uh, the unbelievers that, that claim to be believers, so you throw out biblical roles of manhood and womanhood. You know, the most recent, obviously, in our, in our culture is the matter of homosexual um, unions. Uh, I try to be very cautious not to say homosexual marriage because there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. There are homosexual unions, but they try to take the you know, things of the culture and foist it on, on the Bible. And yet, we, we have the Bible... And we live in, in a specific culture. And it's very easy um, to be, have a, an inside-looking-out perspective rather than an outside-looking-in. So I try to encourage you, know, you to go on the journey that, that the Lord took me on years ago, and that's go outside, go on the mission field, go on short-term trips, allow yourself to be challenged and confronted um, in those ways. Because when you do you'll figure out that, that a lot of what we consider um, our, our view of, of what Christianity looks like is, is very 
um, painted by by what we're familiar with and 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 what we know. And so, uh, I think you have the same thing going on in church history. Church history gives you the ability to see, you know, what are the clear stream of doctrines? What are the fundamentals? What are the main things? And you'll see the church get to one side, you know, or the or the other. So we're here trying to apply uh, biblical, you know, biblical principles. Not in an agricultural society, but in a completely different type of society. And be faithful to the Bible, allow the Bible to speak and not be tainted by the culture, not be conformed by the world. And, and as you know in your own personal walks, that's a, you know, that's, a, that's a challenge. So I chose some topics that you really have to work some angles on. Um, if you think they're easy, then I would say that you're probably not thinking deeply enough about them. I'm, I'm not trying to be um, you know, ugly. I'm just saying that, that these are things that, that Christians take different approaches to, and you gotta you gotta figure out how to work, you know, some of those angles. But I took some topics that that I could observe pastorally from the Sunday school feedback that would be good for us to to practice with one another. And um, you know, and I'm sure there are other questions and other topics that would fall in this this category. But pastorally, I chose these because um, it was it was evident that that there were differing opinions. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to think that there's some, you know, big divisive issue on, on these, these points, uh, as if half of our church believes one thing and half of our church believes another. That's, that, that's, not the, that's not the case. I would say, with a few exceptions, we're, we're, we're 90% together uh, on, on, a lot of these, on a lot of these topics. Um, it's most people, uh, you know, most people understand it, um, you know, the same way. I picked them because they're they're good areas to um, to recognize that good believers, even good believers in the same church, can take a different perspective on uh, on 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 issues. Um, I also think it's important for us to look at the scriptures together and make sure that we're balanced in our. Uh, in our in our application, um, and so we've, we've been praying about just submitting our heart. I mean, God is my witness. You know, I am sure my heart gets away from me at times, but my my constant prayer, and, and really even even on these topics, I have no agenda whatsoever. I have no desire to convince anybody of of my uh, point of view. I do have a desire to convince you of what the Bible says, and I do have a desire just to submit to the text. And, and if, if, if you will approach the Bible in that same way, I just desire to submit to the text um, and, and go through the process, then, you know, then God obviously can, can work great things um, you know, in, our, in our lives. So the first topic that we're covering is, is what is a biblical position on, uh, on debt? And out of the 94 questions that were asked, four of them had to do with, with, with debt. So that's, that's not a statistically valid number, but that's not, you know, uh, every other question was, you know, was about debt. Four out of, out of 94. Now you can argue, well, if I had more time, you know, in the Sunday school classes, I may have asked that question. Or somebody else already asked that question, so I didn't have to. So again, it's not statistically valid. But the four questions that were asked 
went like this. Is the church willing to go into debt? That was one of the questions. It's a very straightforward question. Is the church willing to, to go into to debt? I would answer that saying, I have no idea. That's something that our congregation would decide. So I would, I would, I would categorize the question, I think it's what they were asking was this, is the, the church's leadership willing to lead the church toward taking on debt? That's also a legitimate question. Second question was, what is the limit of debt that we're willing to take on? If you're willing to take on debt, what's the, what's the limit that you would be, be willing to, uh, to take on? Uh, the third really wasn't a, a question, it was a statement. Um, it was just a statement that said, it, it seemed like, it seemed to assume that it was a foregone conclusion that debt was part of, of, of the forward development plan. The statement says borrowing is looked upon uh, unfavorably in the Bible. So that was just a statement that, that was made, but I, I counted that as a, as a question in that category. And then the fourth one was, please lay out for us a reason that shows how it will advance the gospel and grow our church spiritually if we plan on taking on debt. I love that question because it includes evangelism and edification. Uh, Lay out for us a reason that shows how it will advance the gospel and grow the church spiritually if that's part of the... You know, part part of the part of the plan. So, from those questions and a and a couple conversations, I think I told you before, there was an assumption. Um, that was an assumption that um, that we were planning on part of the forward development thing, planning on taking loads of debt and you know and moving just to grow. And as I've told you before, nothing could be further from the truth. It it kind of went like this. Well, if they're planning on building over there then that building's going to cost a lot of money and we don't have the money, therefore they must be planning on taking on loads of debt. And I wouldn't be for that. But all of that is, you know, kind of connect the dots, you know, assumptions. Uh, that's not the intent and, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't the case. Well, that, while that's an incorrect assumption, the question remains. Is the church or is the leadership willing to go into any level of debt, and if so, to you know, to what extent? And, and I really think before you answer that question, you have to you have to go to the scriptures and say, does the Bible have anything to say about the topic? Um, does it permit debt for believers? And that's really one of the areas where rubber meets the road. Um, does it say anything about borrowing, you know, as a church? And if so, for for what? Can a church borrow for for no reason whatsoever? Can a church uh, borrow for operational costs? Can a church borrow to launch a missionary? Can a church borrow to buy a piece of property, um, but function, uh, you know, on a on a regular budget basis, offering basis uh, for you know for it for their variable costs, but their fixed costs, you know, uh, you you borrow. Um, is there any commands to obey principles you know, to follow? So that's what we're going to try to trace tonight. I'm going to try to trace it. It's topical, so it's not a perfect list, but I'm going to give you some things that the Bible, five things the Bible does not say about debt, and then three things the Bible does say about debt. And then we'll open it up and um, we'll, we'll chase some rabbits and hopefully shoot, uh, you know, shoot some of them.
Alright? So, five things the Bible does not say about, about debt. I broke it down this way because um, the, there are always extremes. There's the extreme of, you know, well, yeah, of course. I mean, we live in a modern society, and so, you know, you, you, you just do what everybody else does. You borrow whatever you need. You build it, and they will come. You know, that's practiced by a lot of, of churches. Wouldn't be my philosophy, but it's practiced by, you know, by, by a lot of, uh, you know, of, of churches. Uh, then there's the other side, which says absolutely not, never, you know, nothing whatsoever. It's it's sinful to do so. So I tried to look at the the two extremes as well. What does it say and what does it not say? So here's the first first thing. The Bible does not say about debt. Number one, it does not say it is a sin to borrow. The Bible does not say it is a sin to borrow. When you go to the Scriptures, and I tried to even prepare for tonight, try to test my own thinking, um, there's not a straight, it's, it's not as straightforward as you might think from Scripture to automatically conclude all debt is bad. You know, I've heard people say that debt is always viewed as negative or negatively in, in the Bible. And I found a few cases where I would say that's not true. Um, there's, there are few. It's not that it's viewed as an extremely positive thing, but it's not in every case. Um, the Bible offers warnings about the dangers of debt, but it never says explicitly that you're out of God's will or you're violating one of God's commandments if you borrow. If that's the case then a lot of us are in a world of trouble. You know, and experience is not validating the Scriptures. But you can debate the wisdom of incurring debt. The Bible says that it's unwise in a lot of cases, under certain circumstances, but, but it's really not a black and white issue. It's not on the level of the deity of Christ or, or something that, that you can find a, a command, thou shalt not ever period. So then that puts it in the category where you've got to work an angle. Um, there may be cases where it's unavoidable. Um, a medical emergency. I mean, I can remember, uh, go back to Tracy's, you know, Tracy's parents. Tracy's mother had, you know, had surgery and she didn't have money to pay for it. And immediately she incurred a debt you know, to, the, to the hospital. It wasn't a choice that she made. It wasn't for you know, some frivolous need. She wanted a new sports car. It was, it was just the reality of, you know, of, of circumstances. Job layoff. Um, a number of, of bad turns, if you, know, if you will. And I think normally I hear Romans 13.8 quoted as the definitive verse to prove borrowing is sinful. So since I don't have that up on a screen, turn over to Romans 13.8. Here's one of those verses that sure seems like it's definitive, it's a command. Owe no one anything except love one another. 
For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I've heard that verse quoted as to prove it's sinful, to borrow. But this verse primarily is concerned about relationships, and even if money is part of it, it, it focuses on not paying the debts that, that you owe. Look back at verse 7. This is that submission to government passage. Um, Render therefore to all their due. You owe people certain things in, in our culture, in the world. Um, you owe taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. Don't let those go unpaid, is what verse 8 means. Owe no one anything except love uh, one another. So you paying taxes, customs, fear, and honor, and, and you, don't, you don't forgo those. Um, I think you can also see that debt is a part of normal life and business in the Old Testament. Turn back to Deuteronomy 15. Some of you, this is the first point, and so you're sitting there calculating, wow, man, he's a liberal on debt. Where's he going with this sermon tonight? Just hold your horses. We'll get to the passages you like in a minute. Deuteronomy 15.1 Debt was a normal part of life and business in the Old Testament. Uh, just like today, borrowing and charging interest was part of the economy. That was completely different because you had the nation of Israel against other nations and you had the law regulating life amongst Israelites within the nation of Israel and and the nation of Israel was to be the light to the Gentiles. And so they were to be a distinct people. I mean, one of the testimonies of God is, is the Jewish people. There's no other people on the planet that are identified uh, with, with a God like, like the Jews are. And so you had them living as a nation amongst other nations, and the law regulated this borrowing and... And, and interest and, and, and those kind of things. And, and here you can see in Deuteronomy 15, the law doesn't prohibit borrowing or lending. It regulates it from abuse. Look at Deuteronomy 15.1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. And he shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it. And you don't have to release the debt or the interest that you're garnering from somebody outside of the nation of Israel. But inside, every seven years, you've got to release the debts. Now, that obviously did two things. It kept people from from loaning large amounts of money because they know in seven years they got to forgive it. And it also uh, you know, protected the poor or protected people that, you know, that were, in, were in, in need. But you can see here debts and interests were, were made and it was part of, part, of the, part of society. And they actually had foreigners, sojourners in, in Israel, in the land, and they loaned and borrowed and charged them, you know, them, them interest. In fact, Jesus even says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone asks to borrow from you, do not refuse him. Um, 
So if it's sin, we've got a big problem with what Jesus says in Matthew 5.42. Turn over to Matthew 5.42. Sermon on the Mount, I think um, even one of our Sunday school classes is teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the retaliation section. Uh, Eye for an eye, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, uh, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him. If anyone wants to sue you to take away your tunic, Let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, uh, go two. He's dealing with the issue of the the heart. There was a principle of retribution. Um, And he's saying, don't act that, that way. And look at verse 42. Give to him who asks. Assumes a number of things. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, that's not just talking about the weed eater. Um, You know, they want to borrow your, you know, your, your, your stone for grinding, so give it to them. I mean, this specifically has to do with someone coming with a need and asking to borrow from, from you. If they have a need, don't refuse it. It has to do with the heart. Issue. Don't look at it as an opportunity to extort money out of them for, for debt. If you have it, loan it. Uh, loan it to them. This is an echo of Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. We looked at Deuteronomy 1, 2 and 3. This is Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If anyone is poor among you, among your fellow Israelites, if any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. It's this idea that you don't look at someone else as a business proposition. You look at someone else as a brother and ways that you can facilitate and ways that, that you can help. Not only that, Jesus actually uses the concept of borrowing an interest in the parable of the talents. And he rebukes a wicked servant in the parable of the talents for not putting his master's money in the banking system. So my dad would say, I'm sorry, um, you bankers in here, you know, there's, there's lawyers and then there's bankers. So Jesus actually affirms you bankers here in Matthew 25. Uh, Doug and Scott, you're all right with the Lord. Matthew 25. Look at Matthew 25, 26. You know the passage. It's, it's about the parable of the talents. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into far country. And he has servants and he delivers goods to them and they, they take the talents He gives to each according to his own ability. And one received five talents, traded them another five talents. So you've got borrowing and selling. You've got normal business practices going on here. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid the Lord's money, his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled the accounts with them. Um, and look at verse 
24. Then the one who received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed, and I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look at what Jesus says here. And the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Master in the, in the parable, answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I... You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Now, how do banks make money and pay interest to investors? They loan money. Um, What is prohibited... What is regulated by the law is is the abusing of the poor and the interest levels that were you know, was extortion. Um, you can write these down if you want to. Exodus twenty two twenty five, Leviticus twenty five thirty six. The law prohibited charging large amounts of interest, and the law prohibited charging interest to the poor. Uh, Exodus 22:25. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Well, that obviously assumes that there are others that it is a business deal. Leviticus 25:36. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God, so that they, that's the poor, may continue to uh, to live among them. Interest in general was to be reasonable. Proverbs 28, 8. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury or extortion gathers for him who is gracious to the poor. So he's saying don't take advantage of people. By You have lots of wealth. You loan that wealth um, you know, to others. So the regulation on, on debt and interest, you had the seven-year forgiveness. Um, and it was to bless and protect both the lender and the poor. It was regulated. It was regulated because the hearts of the Israelites are wicked, just like ours are. And it was also uh, to bless. It was The law was designed to help the poor, not making their situation worse. And um, it also taught a spiritual lesson to the lender. I mean, they, they would forego the, the loan to a poor person. It would be an act of mercy. Express gratitude to God. They would be losing the use of that money while it was loaned out, and it would be a tangible way to express gratitude to God for for not charging His people interest on the grace that He had given to them. And it was a it was a gracious thing to do, as just as God had mercifully, mercifully brought the Israelites out of Egypt, penniless and poor, He brought them into a land. Then they were to express express similar kindness to citizens. So. I take by that, it's a matter of wisdom. It was something that was regulated, but it's not something that is sinful. It was part of life in Israel, just like it was part of life, like it is part of life today. Um, and yet, there are a lot of other things the Lord attaches to, to the practice. Let me give you some more. Number two, it does not say, the Bible does not say, it doesn't say it's sin to borrow. It doesn't say it's always wise to, to borrow. Now, what do I mean by that? You can find people. I just opened a Scott Trade account 
for one of my children. I'm going to practice some uh, some purchasing of stocks and, and all of those kind of things. And it's very evident whenever you when you get on the website, one of the things they want to teach you about is is buying stocks on a margin. You know what that is, right? You'll find financial pundits that tell you the best way to get rich is to leverage leverage your, your, your money. Use borrowed money to buy other assets for appreciation, and that's a way to, you know, to prosperity. Um, hope it goes without saying that that's, that's not a biblical perspective. Um, absolutely nowhere in Scripture are we commanded or even advised to use debt to accomplish economic goals. We're not prohibited from it, but the positive side is not there. Go borrow money in order to get ahead. That's not what it says. In contrast, the Bible contains many warnings about the use of uncontrolled debt. Um, if it's an option, then I think it's you, you follow two principles. Ron Blue suggests, number one, the economic return on the amount of money borrowed must be greater than the economic cost. The economic return on the amount of money borrowed must be greater than the economic cost. That means a home mortgage um, sometimes it with, the, uh, with investment debt could fall into that category. It's not the case with a credit card or, or card debt. The economic return on the money borrowed must be greater than the economic cost. And two, if you borrow money, you have to, it has to be secured. You have to have a way to repay it. Um, simply to say, don't be intentionally underwater. Um, for example, you, when you borrow money on your home, if you can't make the payment, the bank can have your house. That repays the debt. If you borrow money on a credit card for a vacation, you don't get an asset that you can use to repay the loan. That's an unwise thing, you know, thing to do. Um, and you have to take into account the Bible says you're not to presume on the future. James 4.13 warns us, even in business, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go to such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now, that's, that's arrogant assumptions. We're going to do this without the Lord. We're not going to seek the Lord you know, in the matter. It's because you don't know what, what tomorrow will, will bring. So you have to take that into account. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, there's the third one. It doesn't say God will bail you out of debt. If you get into it, um, some churches who are heavily indebted have the impression that if they follow God's wisdom, He has promised to bail them out of the debt that they unwisely get themselves into. They'll quote Philippians 4.19, My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And He will. Of course, that promise is true. But he hasn't pledged himself to underwrite our big ideas or the consequences of unwise behavior. Um, that's why you keep hearing me say over and over, this is not my vision. We haven't discovered God's mystical will. I would love for the Lord to write it in the sky, but that's not the way he does it. This is a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of evaluating what we have, where we are, based upon our history, based upon all of the pieces together, and that to be sifted through 
the wise and godly men that this church has acknowledged and has set apart for leadership and then to bring that back to the people for, for affirmation. I mean, we are blessed, as you know, as a, as a congregation. Um, I mean, there is, there, there is no company in Lynchburg probably, you know, of course I'm prejudiced toward the men, but, you know, on the on the East Coast that wouldn't, that wouldn't kill to have our finance committee or some of the men that we have on their, on their senior management team. I mean, you don't have, uh, you know, dummies that are looking at, at things. You have some pretty, pretty heavy hitters that, that have got experience and can think, but beyond that, they're godly men. They, 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 seek, you know, they seek the Lord. Um, it's a matter of wisdom. Wisdom's not also operating out of fear or hunkering down or um, but it's clearly not charging ahead with reckless abandon. Um, four. It doesn't say debt is an exercise in faith. I've actually heard faith preachers, which is an oxymoron, um, tell people on TV when you sow the seed, you borrow money to do that. You ever heard him say that? Encourage poor people to borrow money in order to give to a specific ministry, and if they do that, the Lord will, you know, the Lord will bless them. To flippantly to say that we're exercising faith by borrowing money is, is tantamount to presumption, um, and in some ways, it'll be contrary to faith. Um, God uses means to. To provide any blesses sound decisions, but the idea to say, "Hey, we're going to run into debt, and that we're going to trust God in in doing that, and it be unwise," is, I think, would be outside of uh, of the boundaries of Scripture. Let me give you number five. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to loan money. Um, just as the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to borrow money, it doesn't say it's a sin to loan money. Um, so what then does the Bible say about debt? It's what it does not say. It's not a sin to borrow. And all of the rest of them up there. Thank you. Um, it's always wise to borrow. God will pay you out of debt. Debt is an exercise of faith. It, it's a sin to loan money. There are three things that the Bible does say. Very clearly. Very explicitly. The first one is, it's wrong not to repay your debts. I think everybody agrees with that. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay. Um, so any debt that you take on personally, in your business, as a Christian, as a congregation, God would call us or you wicked if you don't repay you're acting like an unbeliever. You're acting like an unrighteous person. Um, just as a sidebar, does that mean that it's wrong for Christians to file bankruptcy? Um, not necessarily, in my opinion. Um, I think our legal system allows individuals and businesses uh, to reestablish themselves under the protection of bankruptcy laws, but... A believer has a moral obligation to repay his or her creditors um, to the best of their ability in, in the midst of that. Number two, what it does say. 
I'm moving along so we can get to our discussion time. It's foolish to put yourself in surety. It's foolish to put yourself in surety. You know what surety means? It's like co-signing. It's, it's a formal commitment to guarantee somebody else's personal loan. Um, for example, by co-signing. Now, again, I think that there are exceptions to that. You may find yourself in a situation where you have to do that for a child. Um, you, uh, parents do that for educational purposes, for all kinds of other issues. Um, if Tracy's parents came to me and she had uh, medical debt that was there, the Bible says that, that I'm commanded to take care of uh, my own family, and if I won't, I'm worse than, I'm acting worse than an unbeliever, and if I would have to find a way to to secure uh, their health and and their debt, then I would have to try to find a way, you know, to do that. I think what this is talking about is is you just do that for uh, without you know without thinking or for some frivolous uh, thing. Proverbs eleven fifteen: He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. Um, but whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is is safe. Read a bunch of different guys from uh, Larry Buquette's place, which of course Larry's with the Lord now, but some of the others said if you do that to make sure that you set aside uh, the amount of money that you're going in surety for in case they default so it doesn't put you out. Obviously, that's a, you know, that's a perfect world. I mean, I guess if you had the amount of money, you may loan it to them yourself or give it to them rather than rather than go through that you know, process. Um, give you the third one. Certain debt situations uh, violate two biblical principles that can directly affect our relationship with, with God. I, I think really, overall, when you look at the Bible as a whole, there's a clear-cut dichotomy. There's a clear-cut difference between the wicked's attitude toward money, unbeliever's attitude toward money and debt, and a godly attitude toward, toward money and debt. Unbelievers think temporally. The righteous think eternally. I mean, that goes for giving. That goes for borrowing. That goes for meeting the needs of others, caring for the poor, all of those kind of things. Um, the wicked have an attitude of it's irresponsible, it's careless, it's selfish, especially when it comes to money and debt. And um, whether or not debt is ever paid back, it's it's not a big concern to them, unless it's money that they've lent. Um, they're more concerned about gain and, and pleasure and consuming their things and their own lusts. The righteous view money as a, as a stewardship. And you know that term. It's used over and over and over. Um, and so you have a challenge as a believer to operate in the world as a steward. And a steward employs the goods of someone else, someone else owns, and one that gives an account for that. Whether that has to do with how you spend your money on pleasure, whether that has to do with whether you give and how much you give, or whether that has to do with whether you borrow and to what extent 
you know, you, you do that. We give an account as a steward. Um, and believers get that, and they take that, at least they should take that, you know, from a, you know, a weighty, you know, weighty, weighty standpoint. So there may be times when borrowing is necessary, um, and the righteous approach those times with calculated measure about how much debt that they can, you know, they can wisely handle. Uh, stewardship's a responsibility. But the chief motive is that she might be to give to the Lord. And um, So I would say if I just use that as a launching pad, you know, from my standpoint, any debt that I would take personally, just as an individual believer, or would, or would encourage us to take, uh, would follow those principles. Uh, it would be limited, for sure. It uh, wouldn't be by faith. It wouldn't be, uh, you know, let's do a bunch of pledges and hope it comes in. It would be something that's tangible. It would be something that's, that is um, manageable from a budgetary standpoint. shared with you before, I'm the guy who's got to lay awake at night. <laughs> um, it would be wise and have eternal reasons. And it would be something our congregation decided to do after a judicious process. Um, with all the facts, I think one of the challenges that 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 anybody faced thinking about it is you don't have the details. So you're trying to make a decision about a theory. How would a theory apply to you? Don't know how much or if or or, or anything like that. And so that's always that's always difficult. Um, obviously, we would never uh, make a, a theoretical decision. You'd have to have the facts, and then those facts we would go through the process.